Before we get started, we want to chat about Finish Line at Macy's. Woo! They have the latest looks from the hottest brands. We're talking Nike, Adidas, Skechers, Converse. That's just to name a few. You can shop for yourself and your loved ones all in one place. And right now, they're having their end-of-season sale. Deals up to 65% off, which is just crazy awesome. Crazy, crazy awesome! So go check out your nearest Macy's store to see it for yourself. Or go to Macy's.com slash finish line. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. There's no genitals in Space Fleet. But there are in binge mode. So if you're looking for a wholesome universe, check out Ringer FC. And now, binge mode. It's supposed to be five years when I, I looked at it. Something happened, started going down. I don't know what it was. So you broke it? No, 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 no. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Why did you have to look at it? Look, I was thinking maybe we could overcome it somehow. Why did you have to look at it? Because I like you. Like, properly, really, oh, I like you. For fuck's sake, what? And, and that wasn't enough? Hello! Woo! And welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What an incredible website. It's a great website. Start your 2018 by checking it out. Yeah. Joining me today. Hello. Now that his sensors have finished scanning every star system between here and Valatros. Yes. It's Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Concepcion. Valdax out there somewhere. <laughs> but before we look for him, a quick reminder. Every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep, deep. So deep. Deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And this spring, we'll be diving into Binge Mode Harry Potter, bum, bum, bum. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode. That is at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. Our coding is sublime. And for those of you in the Los Angeles area, come see The Ringer Presents High School Football, a very special binge mode rewashables Episode January 24th at Largo at the Coronet, featuring Bill Simmons, Shay Serrano, Mallory Rubin, and myself. Protect Dylan! On today's Binge Mode, we have everything from Hungarian flum shots mm. to distilled root blood from the Ooh. Kangor Quadrant. Mm. And we'll need to stay hydrated because we are diving into season four of Black Mirror, yes. which dropped on Netflix on December 29th. Hopefully you guys all watched it over the holiday. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge as always. We will be going deep. Deep. On details from the six newest episodes of Charlie Brooker's Tech Dystopia anthology yes. show. And we will also occasionally be referencing moments and plot points from seasons one through three. That's right. So brew up your vanilla latte. Skim milk, please. Skim milk, please. Skim milk. It's intern. Important. Still an intern. Still an get intern. Me the, get me the skim milk vanilla latte. Still an intern out there. Because it's time to dive into Black Mirror Season 4. Jason? Yeah? We are Binge Mode's loyal space crew. But before we send the Callister on its next mission, we need to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in this new season of Black Mirror. Yeah. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road, or in this case, through Daly's reskinned, modded Infinity Hellscape to offer a brief refresher just on the premises. Yes. Not every plot point, not the conclusion, but just the premise of the six new episodes in this season in order. Episode one, USS Callister. Robert Daly is the mild-mannered and slightly creepy CTO of video game developer Stare. Callister Incorporated. Stary. Stary, that He's guy. Like, he likes to stare. Stary. In his spare time, you know, just normal stuff, Daly uses a modded version of the company's flagship title, Infinity, to act out his power fantasies with digital versions of his co-workers. Sans genitals. Episode 2, Archangel. After her daughter, Sarah, wanders away from a playground, sparking a desperate few minutes, single mom Marie decides that this must never happen again. Therefore, she has Sarah implanted with Archangel, a parental monitoring system. She's like Arya, chasing cats. She really is. Episode 3, Crocodile. A.K.A. Murder Spree. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, Mia was involved in a deadly hit-and-run accident, which she helped cover up. Now, a successful architect, she's desperate to make sure her past doesn't catch up with her. Incredibly desperate, you guys. <laughs> Episode four, 
Hang the DJ. Frank and Amy are matched on a date by coach, an AI that boasts a 99.8% success rate at finding a person's soulmate. Date ends, and the pair are matched with other random partners, but they ache to find each other again. Episode 5, Metalhead. In a post-apocalyptic world, Bella is pursued by a deadly robotic guard dog. And Episode 6, Black Museum. Rolo is the proprietor of the Black Museum, a roadside attraction that houses high-tech criminal artifacts called from Black Mirror's fictional universe. The museum has fallen on hard times. One day, Nish, a traveler from overseas, discovers a place while waiting for her vehicle to charge. But there's more to Nish than meets the eye. Ah, discovers indeed. Yes. Mal. Yeah. Failure to comply with the rules may result in banishment. Mm. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with a pointy end of the Archangel installation probe, Painless. Ouch. Just goes right into the temple and you don't even feel the thing. The defining theme of season four of Black Mirror is choice and consequence. Ripple effects, digital selves, the quest for power and control, the danger of actually gaining it. Every episode of Black Mirror season four considers the question of control and consequence in a world full of new strange choices. We're just gonna concentrate on the three episodes that we liked the most. Hang the DJ, USS Callister, and Archangel. Hang the DJ. Yes. We're going to start right in the middle of the season because this was our favorite episode. Yes. From the new batch. In part because it was the best and in yeah. part because <laughs> it continues Black Mirror's, in our minds, very proud tradition of devoting one episode per season to exploring relationships yeah. and love and longing in the digital dystopia. If you're interested in hearing more about that, please go back and check out our episode on Black Mirror seasons one through three. This time, the lovebirds in question are Frank and Amy. Two attractive- Aren't they, though? Oof. 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 <laughs> Eager young people looking for love at dating camp. Yeah. <laughs> and- as is always the case in a well-crafted Black Mirror episode, there are signs for us as the viewers and for them as characters right away that not all is maybe as right. it seems. It's my first time on the system, we hear yeah. our protagonists say, like instantly yes. triggering us to pay attention to how new this all seems for them and how false that newness may actually wind up being. Of course, it does actually wind up being false. A lot mm -hmm. of clues. You know, guys, it's just a good life rule. You don't instantly start talking about taking shits with yeah. someone you just met. <laughs> right. That comes with time. Yeah, but she rolled with it, and and that showed that they, yeah. that they were meant to be soulmates. That's truly beautiful stuff. Actually, multiple shit jokes in yes. this season of Black Mirror. A lot of shit. And Callister can't even push out a proper shit, right? Can't even take the pleasure of a proper shit. The other thing, right away for us. Menu choices are already established. Evidently, I'm a pasta girl. Mmm, fish cake. Fish cake. <laughs> already established, of course, by their own prior behavior and preferences. But there's a rub in this world. Yes. The expiry date. Expiry. How very British. Yeah, how very British. The expiration date on their relationships. You, as a participant in this world, can instantly find out how long your new relationship is going to last, but... The system requires both partners in the relationship to opt into that together. Right. You got to tap together to find out. It's basically like a trust fall. You can choose to know, but you can only choose to know together. At least that's, that's right. what we think at this point in the episode when they're first meeting. Because there is an inevitable ripple effect to gaining that kind of insight. You know, on the one hand, hey – no wasted time or energy. That's, That's great, right. right? But on the other hand, what if you're with someone for a year who you hate, like <laughs> Frank and his second partner, Nicola, who we could easily do an entire podcast on? Fantastic Just stuff. Tremendous comic relief. Yeah. How can you ever opt in? Because it winds up feeling like a prison sentence. And Frank says this later, yeah. you know, watching the clock like you're a prisoner, counting the hours, counting the minutes. Conversely, how can you ever allow yourself to buy into a relationship if you know that it's a short expiry date? Right. You know, how can you bring yourself to emotionally invest when there's literally a blinking countdown clock in your hand that is all but shouting at you every time it ticks That's down? Right. One night stand. That's it. Two night stand. This isn't real. This isn't going to last. And Amy puts voice to that later. I know they're short things and they're just meaningless. I get really detached. It's like I'm not even there. On their first pairing, Frank and Amy get 12 hours, half mm. a day. Nothing more racy than some hand-holding. Uh, but they have instant <laughs> chemistry and an easy humor. They laugh with each other. Yes. They talk about shits right away. Before they even eat, they're talking about shits. In a digital pairing factory that's slightly less morose than the lobster, but ultimately not too far removed from that harsh schedule-driven love factory, they find something rarer than just lust. 
they generally like each other. They enjoy each other's company. There's a key moment when they discuss the chaos that must have defined dating before the system, i.e. all of human history up to this moment. Amy says, quote, it must have been mental before the system. People had to do the whole relationship themselves, work out who they wanted to be with. And Frank's like, mm, option paralysis. So many choices, you end up not knowing which one you want. Is that really a problem for people? Amy <laughs> says, yeah, exactly. And if things seem shitty, you'd have to figure out if you wanted to break up with someone. Frank, oh, how to break up with someone. Amy, ugh, it's a nightmare. Frank, it's not that when it's all mapped out. Amy, God, no. So much simpler when it's all mapped out. So much simpler. So much when simpler. When it's all mapped out. But there, with that idea, yeah. our leads, our protagonists, are kind of painting choice as a bad thing. Like, it's a hindrance. It's an anchor. Having options prevents you from making progress in their right. minds in some way. And the real beauty of this episode is that Choice is actually the thing that ultimately frees them right. and ultimately allows them to find each other. You know, Hang the DJ really brilliantly subverts the premise that it tricks us into thinking it has bought into. Right. For like 99% of, well, why don't we just say 99.8% to stay on brand here. In a world where you don't get to choose. Everything happens for a reason. They don't get to choose what they eat. That's right. They don't get to choose who they're dating. They don't get to choose where they're staying, how long those relationships last, when after that relationship ends, they dive into the next pairing. Well, what if the choice actually is theirs in the end? It seems like Frank and Amy are prisoners who are being forced apart by this cruel, you know, removed tech overlord, this little disc in their hands that's just saying... Time's up. Right. Time for the next one. But ultimately, the app is actually set up to reward their relentless determination to choose each other and to opt out of their system. Consequences be damned. The algorithm, we come to learn, only matches them if they choose time and time and time again, 998 times out of a 1,000 simulations to be together. And remember, they think that they will like literally be confronted by a security guard holding yeah. a taser. They don't know what the risks are. They're not actually in a world, even though it seems like it, where they're being robbed of free will because finding the courage to trust their free will is ultimately the point. It's what allows them to actually be together. That's the really cool thing about this episode is that the way to win or beat the system or the way to find your soulmate is actually to break the rules of the system, to opt out of it. As Frank and Amy's It Must Have Been Mental Before the System talk reminds us part of the reason people turn to dating apps is because they want someone else to do the choosing for them. Right. Maybe because they want to trust in someone else's expertise, maybe because they're out of time or patience and energy to hang in a party or a bar to find the perfect mate. Let's let someone else choose. But again, this episode smartly turns that idea on its head. What if you're waiting at the bar to meet the person the tech told you to date because you told the tech 998 times that you wanted to date that person. Right. The episode offers up commentary on dating app culture, but with a twist. Maybe you can simultaneously turn your life over to an algorithm and be in total control. Often Black Mirror paints tech as a thing to fear or as a thing that turns from a tool to a weapon, a positive thing to a negative thing when, when human greed or desire corrupts it. But this is an instance of human desire and tech working in harmony to bring people together. The thing I liked about this episode is it's a version of 15 Million Merits, which is an episode I didn't like that much. 15 Million Merits asked us to look at the capitalist system, but exchange currency for merits. Like what if it, instead of money, we traded likes, which is fine, but it doesn't really examine the system itself. It just changes the currency. It's essentially the same system. This asks us to look at how we choose to date people, how you choose people to be with. Is a computer dating system better or worse than just having to depend on being born five miles away from someone you're going to end up dating? You know, like geography played a, a huge role in dating for basically all of human history up until computers. We'll talk about more of that later. Yeah, and it's interesting that even though this episode does a better job than many others, particularly in this season of establishing quickly but well the rules of the universe right. in which like the characters are existing at that moment, we still don't have all the information. Some That's of right. it is still left open to guesswork like geography. Yeah. You know, ultimately at the end, they're still standing together physically in the same bar. So are those same limits in place? Right. Like, are you still ultimately operating from the same pool just right. with a higher degree of certainty of how compatible you may or may not be? Like, that's one of the questions that the episode leaves us asking. And it's it's also, I think, why we both liked it, because much like San Junipero, there's something hopeful and beautiful about it, which we respond to, certainly. But it's not like 
all peachy, you're still right. left with some pretty heavy questions at yeah. the end. And the characters themselves are facing questions throughout the entire process. You know, they have, after their 12 hours expire, some truly hysterical <laughs> encounters and alternate pairings with people who have none of the warmth that they had none. with each other. I just want to say again, can't give enough shout outs to Nicola. We will never forget you. Sweet Nicola. <laughs> Nor your aversion. You have, it, you have to do it from the back. <laughs> to garlic dip and yeah. chicken tikka masala breath. Talking makes it worse. And Frank and Amy are eventually paired again. They're shocked. Right. I didn't think the system would hook us up again. Of course, right. we will come to learn. That's the whole point. Right. You know, keep putting these people together and see how many times it works. And they make a decision. This is the key moment. One of the key moments. They decide not to look at the expiry date. They choose in unison to live blindly and freely to not get every single kernel of information that the technology in front of them offers up, just like people in the real world. When you are interacting with another human being, you don't know what the end date on that romantic partnership or friendship or professional partnership or any kind of partnership in your life is. And it's not always great to have that clarity, it's like in some ways, like the the thought experiment, like with, would you want to know when you were going to die? Because on the one hand, you could maximize every moment you had. Right. You could make every decision with full clarity on how many decisions you had left. But on the other hand, you're caught in that cloud forever. Right. You can never be free of that information once you gain it. That's a deep question. <laughs> See, my, my thing with that question is always, so if you know the date you're going to die, can nothing change that? Because if nothing can change that, You're going to die on whatever. Right. So then you could really just be crazy for the remainder of your life. You could just do wild shit. I suppose that's true. I guess this episode, not that the logic is identical, but would would lead us to argue that your actions can, in fact, change that outcome. And that, in fact, that's the whole point, is gaining that knowledge and that comfort. Tellingly, Nicola starts eating before Frank even arrives. And as soon as he gets there, she's like, let's check the expiry date. So during the second pairing period, Amy and Frank discuss the accuracy of the system. The conversation is also a trenchant critique of why people decide to settle down often. Amy says, what if there's no scrutiny? If it's just putting us together in any old order and we all go along with it because they're telling us how clever it is. And Frank says, yeah, but it does put people with the one. It's got a 99.8% success rate. And Amy says, but how do you know they're perfect matches? I mean, what if all it's actually doing is gradually wearing us down, putting us in one relationship after another for random durations in a random sequence? Each time you get a little bit more pliable, a little bit more broken until eventually – It coughs up the final offering and says, that's the one. And by that time, you're so defeated and so exhausted that you just accept it. You settle. And then you have to live the rest of your life convincing yourself that you didn't. Yeah, that's dark shit. And by the way, that's like, that's a thing that happens to people. She's describing her fear of the system. But this is our fear in real life, right? You're going to get to a certain age and then all of a sudden it's like you missed out or you missed that exit somewhere down the line. And now it's like, well, I'm dating this person and I kind of have to marry him. (laughs) But that's when these episodes are operating at their peak. Yes. Is when they're simultaneously convincing you as a viewer that you're witnessing something totally different and apart from your current reality. This is new. This is strange. Something has changed about their circumstances that that are different, makes them different from my own, but totally universal. The questions, the considerations, the things are all the same. And of course, our boy Frank (laughs) falls prey to that eternal doubt. Yeah. He can't stand not knowing how long they have because they are falling in love with each other. And it's beautiful, but it's also kind of gutting to watch because every moment of joy for him is clouded by the uncertainty of how long that joy right. will last. You know, they finish taking a bath together and she's rubbing the soap in his hair. And it's I love when they darling. I love when that happens. And I sit there watching and I'm thinking, why can't I have a bigger bathtub? This seems great. <laughs> and he's just looking over at his sweatpants right. with his coach disc kind of hanging out. He can't escape the specter of that uncertainty. The prospect of that love that is blossoming being taken away from him by someone other than him or Amy. Right. That's part of it. It's that it's out of his control. And no one wants to feel like they're out of control ever in any aspect of life. And so he goes against his word to Amy and he checks the expiry date, which again, we didn't think he could do. Ah, but can he? Right. He does. (laughs) On the one hand, you know, this tech in his hand, it's this portal to insight. And so he chooses 
Knowledge over trust, basically. That's the calculation he makes. Certainty over doubt. And that calculation ultimately costs him their time together. He sees right away a five-year timestamp. And it's like, that's, wow. Hey, not bad. That's like legit shit, Right. right? That must mean we have something here. And then coach starts to recalibrate. And recalibrating. Agonizing. Recalibrating. Sequence. Recalibrating. Frank's time with Amy is melting away and he's screaming in protest. Three years, 18 months, two months, three weeks, five days. He's begging it to stop, begging it. When will it stop? And finally, it stops. 20 hours. Right. Coach? Everything happens for a reason. Helpful, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> For five years to 20 hours with the person he loves because of a choice he made that goes against a promise he made, Amy's reaction to Frank's confession that he checked is wrenching, even haunting. Haunting. Drink. I looked, he tells her. Looked at what? We promised we wouldn't. We shook on it. Don't you want to know what it said? And she goes, no, that was the point. And he says, it was supposed to be five years, but I looked at it and something happened and started going down. I don't know what it was. And she's like, so- You broke it. Essentially, this is your fault. You did this. And he's like, I don't know. Why did you have to look at it? I was thinking we could overcome it somehow. Why did you have to look at it? Because I like you properly, really. And that wasn't enough. That's the question, right? So so it wasn't just enough to be with me. You had to know when this would be over. These people are in a world, in a reality where that hasn't been enough, or at least where they've been led to believe it isn't enough. But ultimately, for Frank and Amy, it still is. They just have to get to the point of, of trusting that possibility. Oh, it's tough. Really sad. It is. It is extremely sad. It's painful, but it's also beautiful because like that kind of moment where you look at another person and say, whatever the context is, this, you and me, that wasn't enough for you. You needed something else. That's like the worst feeling in the world, no matter what the specifics are. And that's the moment they find themselves in. And the sick, twisted part, the part Frank is trying so hard to articulate, even though he can't, is that he didn't do it. Because she wasn't enough. He right. did it because she's, she's much. everything. Right. He and wanted, he's afraid he to lose to it. He needed to know. Choice is Frank's downfall in that moment when he peaks. But weakness is human. And the love and desire that lead him to transgress ultimately become the source of his power. You know, being prematurely torn apart is eventually what leads them to choose each other right. for this farewell period when the app lets them say goodbye to another person before they're theoretically going to be paired with their perfect matches. 99.8%. And that, that moment when they're back together and have one more chance with each other is when they decide to bolt. Amy has to choose to forgive Frank for this violation, just as he has to choose to seek that forgiveness and not just bend to the simulation's will or what we all at least think the simulation's will is. When Amy asks Frank if he can remember where he was before this or how he felt when they first met, they land in a very battle-starry spot. She says, like it happened before, like it'll happen again, like it's happened a thousand times over and over again. Ever since we've met, this world has been toying with us. It's trying to keep us apart. It's a test, I swear. And the two of us rebelling together is something to do with passing it. Over the wall, he says. I. 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 Over it, no matter what's out there. Probably Gendry. Running. Rowing. Running Running and rowing. (laughs) So fast. Yeah. John standing on a piece of ice. They make their choice to go. Let's go. All right, let's go. When they climb up the wall and the sim vanishes, they pop back into like this blackened room and they see other versions of themselves paired with numbers of their rebellion slash match above them. Then they all vanish. Bye. And we see the counter. (laughs) 998 simulations completed. This raises another question, which we'll talk about under Callister. So- If you torture a simulation of yourself, that's clearly wrong. But if you imprison a simulation of yourself in a love match, is that not also wrong? Anyway, we'll get to that later. And then we cut to the real world where Amy looks at her phone, sees Frank's photo with the label 99.8% match, and he sees her in the same thing, and they meet. Their eyes meet. She smiles. He smiles. They have that recognition they just discussed, and she moves toward him, and the music plays, and that's it. It's beautiful. And think of how the episode labels choice and frames choice. It's a rebellion. Right. There's something kind of dangerous about it that you have to opt into. It's not necessarily the normal 
course. That's really interesting. Every time Frank and Amy choose to pick each other, despite right. Coach telling them that they shouldn't, they're rebelling against the authority of the system. But in so doing, they're finally assuming agency. You know, they're not really losing control by putting themselves at risk. Right. They're assuming control and gaining control by making a decision instead of being bound to someone or something else's will. You know, we hear Coach say, failure to comply with the system may result in banishment. It's almost like the system is goading them into this revelation. All these little prods, hey, the only one really who has the choice here is you. You just have to make it. Relatedly, it's important to note that they act without realizing what will happen to them when they break these rules. We hear Frank basically say, what if we're in a sim? We see Amy questioning why the rocks always skip four times when she's skipping stones across the surface of the pond. We witness them say to each other that it feels like they've gone through these motions with each other many, many times, because they have, by the way. But when they choose to go full maze runner and try to get outside of the wall that's keeping them in this world, they do so not knowing if the consequences will be death or imprisonment or being booted from coach's camp or nothing at all. They choose to have faith in the thing that's more powerful than any threat, each other. They love for each other. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Great episode of television, truly. Let's talk about another episode, which we did not like quite as much, but many people liked more. USS Callister, a.k.a. Landry Goes Dark. (laughs) And it goes way dark with no genitals. What is Space Fleet? (laughs) What is Space Fleet? It's a belief system founded on the very best of human nature. It is a goal for us to strive towards for the betterment of the universe, for the betterment of life itself. And you assholes are fucking it up! (laughs) Ah, but as so often is the case, the bad guy believes he's the good guy. Robert Daly. Welcome to the ranks of bad guys who think they're good guys. I like a better temperament in my kicker. I'll just say that. Well, I mean, we, he did kill a guy. <laughs> you remember? Yes. Daly's a theoretical big shot, the CTO of a fancy tech company, but he's also an outcast made to feel small by his bubbly, outgoing peers. He's the nerd, and they all pick on him. Luckily, he has a fix. Using his tech and his brain power, he builds a world that's a simulation of his favorite show, where he's literally the captain now. <laughs> and within that realm, he becomes a monster. He chooses to... Take the DNA from people in his real life. How does this tech work? Don't worry about it. Why they have their memories? Don't think about it right now. Super gross. Yeah. Just focus on extracting the used coffee cup and sucked on lollipop. Yeah. He makes copies of the people he works with who have wronged him some way. Yes. And things really kick into gear for us and for this episode when Nanette Cole, a new employee, winds up in Daly's digital (laughs) caster facing numerous real-world colleagues who are also caught in this hellscape playpen. And she is naturally confounded by this. And they explain many of them at once. Not actually you. I know it's mental, but you're a copy, a digital clone. Daly's created an identical version of you, of all of us, from your DNA. Gross. He'll have harvested it somehow. I like that meta moment where one of the characters tries to offer up a more scientific explanation, and then another one's like, yeah, like I said, a gizmo. Right. Let's keep it moving. Okay, let's go. Keep it moving. A gizmo. We're good. That's enough exposition. The continuation here of Black Mirror's tradition of presenting digital clones as people and exploring the ethical implications of treating them or, crucially, not treating them as such. White Christmas, San Junipero, we've come to this time and time again on this show. Daly, who is not well-liked. Not well-liked. Creepy, certainly. In the real world. He's meek. You know, he's feeble and he's bullied and he's pushed over and he can't even tell his charges, even though he's the CTO, to push for an earlier deadline. He can't tell Walton, his nominal partner, to stop big-timing him. Get your ass off my desk. Sits on his desk. Dude. Terrible. (laughs) Look at all my merch I got here. (laughs) Keep it clear. So he has brains, and he has access to this tech, and so he builds this kingdom with the one thing he has, his intellect and the choices that he's able to make because of that intellect. And there in that code, he is... The ruler, he is the king, and he chooses to ultimately become the thing that he hates, which is a bully, because his digital self allows him to find that power and to gain that control in a way that his real self never could. And that is 
also a recurring theme on this show. When do you become the thing you hate? Well, often when you seek something that maybe you shouldn't have. Walton, Daly's real-life partner and original torture subject, sums this up beautifully. It's a bubble universe ruled by an asshole god. Uh Aha! Ah! But Daly isn't the only one who can choose because these clones are perfect digital recreations of the people the DNA was culled from in real life. They have agency, they can act, they have free will. They also, crucially, have fear. They value their lives, yes. even though their lives may or may not exist. Philosophically, you can discuss that with your friends and imagine what that might mean. So they have fear, the most human of emotions and the one that's ruling everyone when Annette arrives. They're afraid of, of what Daly can do to them. They're resigned, but she's in fighting shape. She hasn't been beaten down by this situation yet, and her mission is to convince them that they still have agency to change their circumstances. And hearing it's more like a eternal waking nightmare from which there's no escape <laughs> is not acceptable to her. Neither, presumably, is hearing that chuck a ham sandwich across the room and he'll fuck it before <laughs> it hits the ground in the real world, which is a reference to Walton yeah. and the way he acts. We all have our breaking points, and Nanette's is the reveal that, guess what? In space, no one can hear you fuck because you don't have any genitals. You just have like a numb fucking Barbie mound. And Nanette says... Quote, stealing my pussy is a red fucking line. It's go time. That's it. She messages herself in the real world. And though the first plan, the first iteration of the plan backfires, she maintains her conviction and decides, here's what we're going to do. When Nett sees a wormhole, she realizes, ah, this means that Daly's version of the game is still connected to the internet, which means we can still affect it. She sees her chance. We're going to drive into that wormhole and we're going to escape. But if they do that, yeah. if they make that choice, what will the ripple effect be? What will the cost be if it goes right or if it goes wrong? You know, if it goes wrong, Daly will torture them. He has proven this. And one of the tales from Walton shows what he is fully capable of. You know, to get at Walton, Daly, back in the real world, stole a lollipop from Walton's son, Tommy, which allowed him to take the heart. Use that gizmo. Just use the gizmo, the gizmo, the gizmo. harvest the DNA, bring little Tommy, six-year-old Tommy, onto the Callister, and take his clone and throw it out of an airlock right. so that his father can watch him freeze and crack and crumble into nothingness. That's one outcome yeah. because he's still got that lollipop. You know, we get this reminder. He's got all that DNA back in his mini fridge. Right. This isn't just a here solution. We have to figure this out in both worlds. Get our shit so that he can't do this again and also let's fix this here. And what if it goes right? What's the outcome then? That might just mean death for these right. versions of themselves. They're not sure if that is the outcome. Well, maybe it's worth it to them. You know, one, they, they say, we would cease to exist, that's true, but we would be free. And freedom, of course, is something you always want to choose if you can. And interestingly, one of the questions you've been raising here about the ethics and how you philosophically think about sort of what life is in this world, one of the characters gives voice to this. Whether it's dying would depend largely on your philosophical position on sentient good. It's a nice nod in that moment to the show acknowledging that that's a question the viewers are asking. So Nanette decides to leverage herself, her real life Mm -hmm. self. She uses racy photos stored on For the second time, we should say, because her first attempt did not work. Did not work. She says, we can blackmail me. That's how we'll get me to do the things that we need to do. But it can't just be Nanette. She needs others to choose to join her. She says, look, if this is going to work, we all have to be in on it. And eventually they hatch a plan involving a digital swim and a real-life pizza delivery. And real-life Nanette sneaks into Daly's home to sabotage his hardware. And swipe the DNA. That's right. The choices don't end there, though. Once Daly uncovers their deception and makes his way back into the digital realm, they have to reboot the Callister with Walton's sacrifice. He chooses to burn himself up in the engines. His parting words are, fuck you to death. I love that. Good sign-off. Yeah. And they might have fucked him to death. Did they actually kill him? Is he dead? Digital Daly is trapped in his ship, his mod deleting around him. And real-life Daly is tapped into the system, drooling in his chair, unaware that his sim is shouting, Exit game! I just fucking died! And hearing nothing but rogue universe detected, deletion in progress. Controls are disabled. Our heroes, at least, are alive. They get through the wormhole, but they didn't cease to exist. Now they're in the cloud. Not in Daly's computer, they're online. They're in the internet. They have genitals again. Thank God. They can shit, presumably. We would think. 
Yeah. One would hope. We can go anywhere, they say, but they're still trapped in a fashion. They've gone from prisoners to explorers on a brave new frontier. They get a player tag from Aaron Paul. They're online. Aha! You better run King of Space right here, bitch. He doesn't say bitch, which I was upset that he didn't say that. Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. In other words, they've graduated from their own private hell, the hell of a bubble universe ruled by an asshole king to the vast anonymous hell of multiplayer gaming. Now, ethical consideration. Here's the thing. If the digital clones were less alive, less smart, less cognizant of what was happening to them, they were merely AI behavioral routines, skin to look like the people they are skin to look like. Would that make what Daily does defensible? Anyone who's ever been bullied or felt wronged or been in a situation where they felt like they didn't have any power has imagined themselves getting payback, right? The difference is your mental picture of the office asshole isn't actually alive, right? Digital clones clearly are, these digital clones anyway, despite their lack of actual bodies. So to take it further, even if Daly were a benevolent ruler, is it ever okay to create a complete digital copy of a person? Would it ever be okay? I think no, because he has made himself a god. Right. And in doing that, he has robbed all of his subjects of their own agency, right. of the ability to choose whether or not he's treating them kindly. I mean, okay, let's use San Junipero as an example. Right. We spent so much time when we were processing that episode talking about Kelly's dilemma right. and what her decision to go to San Junipero to be with Yorkie represented. And the agony and the way that that weighed on her because of what it represented, which was, even if it's not a replacement of her actual life, right. even if uploading her consciousness to San Junipero, to the cloud, doesn't actually mean that her corporal physical form and her soul and her, whatever metaphysical, like, religious, faith-based explanation, however you want to think about it, if there's an outcome in which you as a person in the world can go to the afterlife or continue right. to exist in some form, and then this offshoot of you is existing somewhere else, you have to be the one to make that choice, no matter what the circumstances are that you're going to find yourself in. Safe space time. In the game The Sims, mm-hmm. which I used to play, I would create Sims, obviously, it's part of the game, yeah. and then I would torture them in, in horrific ways. Yeah, one, of the, this, yeah. one of the things <laughs> I did was I, I put Sims in a hot tub, and then I would place potted plants all around the perimeter of the hot tub so they can't get out the hot tub. And I'd leave them in there for days, days and days and days and days and days. Then I'd delete the plant so they could step out and they'd immediately die. Just drop immediately dead. Another thing I did was I, I made a guy swim out into an Island I made in the middle of his swimming pool on the Island. I placed a bed, Mm -hmm. a toilet Mm -hmm. and a barbecue grill Mm -hmm. and a garbage, (laughs) everything a growing boy needs. So I'd Made him swim in the pool, and then I deleted the ladder that led out of the pool and left the ladder that led to the island in the middle of the pool. He had to stay in there, and this guy got incredibly depressed. He was crying all the time because people could just see him shit. He couldn't go to the bathroom because he's just like in, the, in an island in the middle of the pool. Everyone on Callister would love that. They would love it. <laughs> and he would just go into the pool and just swim around, doggy paddling around, looking for the ladder to come out. And I delighted in his cries. He would just stand on the island, soiling himself, crying, making hamburgers and like sleeping on the bed. Okay. So what was it about that that appealed to you? Was it that you could get those impulses out knowing that there was not an actual consequence? It was, I wonder what will happen if I do this thing. Mm-hmm. That's it. You but know, he didn't it, have a soul. He, he didn't have, did he? We, we don't think. <laughs> I, feel, now, so that's a I feel, I feel absolutely terrible now recounting this, but it's a safe space. And yes, listen, it was, this was like Windows... XP. There's no way this guy had a soul. I think you can allow yourself to feel okay about doing what you did to a true computer-generated character. His name was Larry Goth, by the way. Fabulous. Yeah. That sounds like a guy who has spent a lot of time shitting in public. If you had, let's say, a Boston Dynamics sure. robot dog, right. and you were mistreating that, I'd tell you to be concerned. That would be a little different. Well, I think the takeaway from USS Callister is clear. Keep your naked photos off the cloud. <laughs> keep them off the cloud, guys. Or keep guys. them on. Maybe. They ended up being helpful. I don't know. Archangel. Yes. What happens when you can surrender your parental responsibilities to an app, to a program, to a chip? Marie decides to implant her daughter, Sarah, with essentially nanotechnology that allows her to see through her eyes, hear what she hears, track her anywhere, because she wants to keep her safe. I mean, it comes from a good place, from a place that we all can understand. But at what point... Does this become too much? Like, you know, Sarah comes to realize that there are things that she can't see. That With the parental filters of the Archangel program, Marie can block certain content. 
Sarah can't see blood. She can't see violence. She can't see sex. She can't see a dog that's barking. Why is the dog troubling to Marie? I'm not sure. But Sarah realizes that there's this content out there that she can't access. And she starts to wonder why. Like, what is it about this stuff? And it's really the curiosity of the thing that drives her to break with her mom. Would you ever chip your child? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can answer that until you have a child, probably. Yes. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about the episode is that it probably plays very differently depending on your life perspective yes. at the moment when you watch it. There are so many choices that are made along the way. There's the initial choice. Right. Just because your kid chases a cat once, that, but that terror. Like yeah. to us, it's like, well, that was just one little thing. But to a parent, it's the worst moment of that person's life. The moment where you think, yes, I've lost my child. And you probably can't recover from that level of anxiety and terror. And so, I, you know, it's certainly not a perfect episode. You know, Alison Herman, read her, all of her Black Mirror commentary on The Ringer, yes. noted that it's one of the most heavy-handed in the sense that a character is literally bludgeoned with a piece of technology. Right. You know, the conclusion of the episode is that Sarah finds out that her mother has been spying with her after she thought that her mother wasn't using this tech anymore. Right. And... Beats her face yes. with this evil iPad, basically. And I can see how that would be like maybe a degree, literally two on the nose for people. <laughs> like literally on her nose several times. But I do think the episode poses a compelling thought experiment, yeah. which is at what point does something that's actually really well-intentioned right. become damaging? You know, there's nothing wrong with a parent wanting to make sure that his or her child is safe. That's right. wonderful. It would be great if people in general in life were more invested in what was happening around them. And technology does allow us yeah. to get this kind of clarity. You know, this episode felt like, to me, one of the closest. Like, if we mapped out a timeline and we think this is all in one universe and where is every episode happening, this feels like tech that's really close. Sure. You know, not, I don't know how close we are to sticking something in our temple. Well, we can only track people with their phones. Exactly. All that like stuff. how yeah. different is it yes. really? How far removed is it really from just a GPS tracker or find my iPhone yeah. or any of these things that already exist? So the leveling up of the tech and the terror and the, the calculus is when you're not honest with another person. Right. You know, having the presence of the tech doesn't remove the need for candor and human dialogue. So when Maria's mother realizes that it's almost like a virus or right. like a germ, like your body only builds up the ability to fight off infection if right. you're exposed to it at some point. So the fact that Sarah isn't exposed to this stuff in a way makes her crave it. You know, she's after she hears someone describe blood and violence to her for the first time, she starts stabbing herself in the hand with a pencil because she needs any sense of what this is. She literally doesn't have a conception for it. So there's the initial choice. There's the choice to then deactivate that functionality. There's the choice to eventually put this thing away in the attic. Move away from this entirely. You're free. You're your right. own person. I did this to her, to my daughter. I made her stab herself in the hand. And then, of course, there's the choice to go back. Just because, like, think of the trigger. Her daughter is late coming home. <laughs> right. That's it. And lied about where she is, though. Not answering her phone. Right. And I don't think either of them could ever recover from that. Right. Like, certainly, obviously, we know that Sarah will never be able to trust her mother again after no way. she discovers what has happened. Either throw out the iPad or I do not trust you ever again. Literally ever again. I think there's a case that Marie probably never trusts herself yeah. if that's allowed to continue because you know that you the one— Why are you doing this in the first place? Because right. this is the one person you care about the most. And then— you corrupt that bond right. through a consistent lie. Right. And they're lying to each other, of course. That's part of the great sadness of it. And, of course, the nature of Sarah's revelation, you know, what is the thing that actually leads her to finally realize that her mother's using right. it again? She gets sick at school. Why are you sick at school? Right. Goes to the uh, doctor. Goes to the school nurse. Well, it's the emergency contraception you took. What are you talking about? I right. didn't take any emergency contraception. She pieces it together. She goes home, finds the packaging in her trash. Her mother snuck this into her morning smoothie because her mother, who was still monitoring her, right. after 
activating the device to find out where she was, watching her lose her virginity, then watching her do lines of cocaine. Like these are transgressions and violations into a person's privacy. Her own daughter keeps using it and gets the alert. She's pregnant and then acts. There's no recovering from that ever. And this is tech that started off like with kind of a noble goal. Keep someone I love safe. That's disturbing. It's an interesting ethical question because, you know, we talk about tech as a tool, as a thing to reach the thing that's slightly out of reach. But when it goes too far is when you surrender your agency to the thing. Now, instead of developing a relationship with my child where we feel comfortable talking to each other about the things that are going on in his or her life, who are you dating? What are you doing? Where are you going? Now I'm just going to use this thing to track them wherever they go. Right. To catch them in lies. Right. You made the choice initially to opt in, but then you become beholden to it. You lose your free will to just say this isn't right. We'll be right back after a brief break for a word from our sponsor. Real quick. We just want to chat about Finish Line at Macy's. They have the latest looks. From the hottest brands. Woo! Nike, Adidas, Skechers. Skechers. And Converse. Just to name a few. You can always. 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 Find the perfect pair. Yeah. Take to the gym. Or if you're like me and don't go to the gym. Wear around town. Or if you're like me and don't go around town. To wear in the comfort of your home. These shoes will stay comfortable long after your kids outgrow them. Get shoes for yourself. Yes. Get shoes for your significant other. Yes. Get shoes for your children. Yes. Get shoes for your robot dog. All in one place. You don't have to go to a whole bunch of different stores. Why do that? It's cumbersome. It's terrible. Shop for shoes all in one place. Right now, they are having their end of season sale. Right now. With deals up to 65% off, which is just crazy awesome. Crazy Crazy awesome. awesome. Check out your nearest Macy's store to see that crazy awesomeness for yourself. Or go to Macy's.com slash finish line. And now back to binge mode. Jason. Yeah. It must have been mental before the system. Mental. People had to do the whole relationship themselves. Fucking terrible. Work out who they wanted to be with. Who do you want to be with? Frank and Amy, yeah, far from the first to fear this kind of option paralysis. That's it. That's what it this is, is a long time problem. Pretty much everyone who's alive today has either used a dating app or knows someone Listen, who has. To have option paralysis, you have to have options. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. So before pairing day, please yes. assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel or, you know, just grab coach. Hello, coach. Teach us everything we need to know about the history of online dating. Early history of online dating, let's go. Since the dawn of time, the act of finding a mate has always faced one implacable, immovable foe, scarcity. Oh, I thought you were going to say numb genital mounds. Numb genital mounds. There's nothing there. There's simply a finite number of people one can meet in a lifetime. Finding a soulmate or even just finding someone to hook up with is all about enlarging the pool of prospective partners and defeating the limitations of geography. I thought you were going to say enlarging something else. You're going to enlarge it, engorge it, the whole thing. <laughs> Mass media wasn't around all that long before people began systematically trying to get laid off of it. Thus, the first personal ads, which began appearing in the late 17th century. Man seeks some good young gentlewoman that has a fortune of 3,000 pounds or thereabouts. That's the text of an actual personal ad from the late 17th century. In 2018, being seen by the largest possible number of potential mates is simply a question of how many times you can swipe right on how many apps before your hand gets tired. The road to Tinder or Cupid began decades ago. In 1959, two Stanford University engineering undergrads, Philip Feiler and James Harvey, wrote what is likely the first computer dating program as a class project, their creation, Happy Families Planning Service ran on the IBM 650, a computer that was roughly the size of a one-bedroom apartment. 49 men and 49 women filled out a questionnaire, and the program then measured the differences between their respective answers, then matched the couples who had the lowest difference scores. After the program made its pairings, Filer and Harvey threw a party so that these potential mates could get to know one another. Hot topic of conversation. How honest were you on your questionnaire? Ah, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Filer and Harvey, by the way, got an A. In 1965, Harvard students Jeff Tarr and Vaughn Morrill started Operation Match, the first true computer dating business. I thought perhaps there was a better way for young men and women to get together, Morrill told 538, the website, back in 2015. He and Tarr, with some help, crafted a questionnaire geared towards students, which they promoted on campuses around the country. 
Interesting side note, one of Operation Match's early investors, Douglas Ginsburg, would go on to become a top conservative legal mind in 1987 after Robert Bork's nomination to the Supreme Court was turned back by fierce opposition from Senate Democrats. President Reagan nominated Ginsburg, no relation to Ruth Bader. He withdrew after admitting to smoking weed. Uh. He is currently a circuit judge of the United States Court of Appeals for D.C. Join us in California, my dude. Join us here where it's illegal, my friend. (laughs) Quote, you may not know it. Read the preamble from Operation Match's 1966 survey, but you're one in a million. No one else is quite like you. You have different tastes and different attitudes from those of anyone else you know. If you're one in a million, there's eight of you in New York, I'm just saying. And what about the 999 other Sims of yourself? That's right. So for Operation Match, customers filled out these forms, mailed them along with $3 back to Tar and Moral, who then inputted the answers into their computer. Some actual questions. Do you believe in God who answers your prayers? How important is it to you that your date share your attitudes towards sex? Pretty important. (laughs) By the way, spoiler, that's important. Do you think romantic love is necessary for a successful marriage? (laughs) What kind of questions are these? You get on a bus and find a newspaper open to a crossword puzzle that's partially completed. What do you do with that partially completed puzzle? Weird question. Each question was to be answered twice, once for themselves. Once for their ideal date using a number code. One, for very interested. Two, for interested. And three, for not interested. The computer was as big as a bus, said Operation Match's Vice President David Crump in an interview in 2015. One that read punch cards and printed out on green and white striped paper. Personal computers, of course, did not exist in this era. Morrill and Tar rented out computer time from IBM on Sunday mornings when the rates were the cheapest. Customers received a letter containing a list of names, of prospective mates in their area. But it wasn't a cold call said Crump in 2015, you could say, hey, the computer put us together. It's beautiful. Operation Match would go on to pair over 100,000 respondents. Morrill and Tar sold the company in 1968. I'll just say that Ned and Kat didn't love each other when they married and things worked out really well for both of them. That's right. As as Kat told Rob when Rob was like, yo, it's stronger. It lasts it longer. It lasts longer. He's like, but did you see her saw that foot off? Oh my God. The way she saw that foot. Look at her. She just held the dude down and just started cutting into his foot. Oh, my God. My loins became engorged. <laughs> Mal, yeah. cars out of charge. So we did pull out the solar panels. Good news, though. We're already here at the Sept next to the museum. So let's bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite connective tissue Easter eggs. Ooh. Ooh. From this season. Still lightning round style. This isn't a comprehensive list because there are a ton of these Easter eggs, but these are the ones we enjoyed the most. You go first. Okay, number one, food and drink. Mm. Love food and love drink. I know you do. Food first. The driverless pizza delivery truck that hits the pedestrian in Crocodile is a Fences Pizza delivery truck. The same company that delivers pizza to Daly in USS Callister. Like that dude. Exit game. My pizza's here. And he's just waiting for his extra money for being really fast. And like maybe that's why they switched to the driverless because the drivers were like, these assholes aren't paying me what they promised. Who knows? Also, another food thing, the peppermints that Mm. Shazia sucks on in Crocodile, they appear again in Metalhead. They're all that's left in the apocalypse. That's it. I'd be fine with a bunch of peppermints. Now, for the drink. Daly, as we know, really likes his milk. And in his vanilla lattes, in his mini fridge, what's the brand of milk in his mini fridge? Raymond. Raymond milk. Which also is the name of one of the soldiers in the mass project in season three's Men Against Fire. The same Raymond milk also appears in Jack's fridge in Black Museum. Speaking of Raymond. The footage of her blasting bullets into roaches is the test video used to demo parental controls on Archangel. This is fitting because that tech manipulated what Sarah could see to shield her from terrors and various troubling images. The mass tech that led to Raymond shooting the roaches did the opposite, showing her and the other soldiers something monstrous when in reality it was a person. This, along with many other disc-centric elements from the season, is further support for the theory that all of Black Mirror's ocular brain implant tech are related. Relatedly, the Archangel tablet wheel interface has an extremely similar aesthetic to what yes. the characters in the entire history of you see when scrolling through their redos, hot redos. Don't miss that guy. Yeah. Number three, the San Junipero postcard in the desk that Bella is rifling through when she's looking for those car keys in Metalhead. And I just hope that 
those poor fuckers who are dead on the bed upstairs uploaded to the cloud before the Boston Dynamics dog went rogue. Little cutie. In Crocodile, Mia turns on Wraith Babes mm. on the hotel TV. Does she, she doesn't pick Wraith Babes. It's on the band, but she doesn't pick it. Oh, I want to see what Wraith Babes is about. <laughs> Can we put on Wraith Babes? I'm just interested now. It's like purely academic, my interest in Wraith Babes. And that's not the only connected tissue between Crocodile and 15 Million Merits. The song that helps trigger memories in the pizza accident witness is Anyone Who Knows What Love Is, parentheses, will understand. The song Abby sings on Hot Shot and one of Black Mirror's favorite Easter eggs to return to across episodes. And there's yet another Hot Shot mention in Crocodile. We hear that a judge was caught in the hotel with a rent boy. By the way. How'd you feel about Crocodile? Listen, a little weird that Mia is like, yeah, you know, it's too risky, Rob, to send a anonymous note about this guy that we accidentally ran over. By the way, I wasn't driving and you're not going to mention me. Okay, that's too risky. Here's what's not risky at all. Me committing four murders in 24 hours, including that of a baby, in order to get away from all of this. Listen, press for time. Got to be at the kids' recital. She killed so like four people. It's, it's, like- it's, t- it's just... There's a lot going on for yeah. a high-powered architect in Iceland. You don't understand what it, I have a life. I have a son. He's nine years old. Remember, she was the one also during the initial hit and run who was like, let's call the authorities. Right. This isn't okay. Unbelievable. So she ends up killing four people in a day and then is caught by a guinea pig that they put like the implant on. I like that because it gives me faith yeah. that if anything terrible ever happens to me, Halo will help figure right. out why. By the way, it's like they, they put the implant on the people and we're, we hear, oh yeah, it's, it's not perfect. You know, it's kind of crowdsourced the images and through that we find out what's true. By the way, we're going to put this on a guinea pig and that's what's going to convict you. <laughs> a guinea pig's recollection. Can't even give him a whiff of the beer. <laughs> he wasn't in, wasn't in the neighborhood. Who knows what triggers he's going to have. It's good stuff. Number five. Yes. The receptionist in... The actual Callister offices right. appears to be using the same dating app that Cooper was using in ah. Playtest, or at least a very similar one. Further connective tissue between these VR gaming episodes, maybe? And then another question is, are these dating apps precursors right. to the one in Hang the DJ? You know, if you look at them, they don't appear to show any sort of 99.8% match graphics or typography and they have like some different visuals there's a heart and some other cute stuff but they do have the same overall aesthetic it's a circle of the person you're looking at and that's it it's a circle and they look pretty similar so maybe they're all connected there is a tusk the rapper poster (laughs) in sarah's room in archangel tusk is the rapper who dies in hated in the nation what a great episode that is hated in the nation loved it is that the bees episode? That's yeah, the bees episode. <laughs> bees, bees, aka bees, the episode. Number seven. Here's just a quick run through of basically everything in yes. Black Museum because that episode, which is a mess tonally yes. and very divisive. You know, there's a contingent of viewers out there who says, what a truly fascinating meta commentary. Right. And then there's an equal or I think probably larger and maybe in- increasingly larger contingent yes. that said, uh, Maybe the show is out of ideas and maybe there are some deeper problems as well. This episode is just a cluster of Easter eggs. Yes. A basket of Easter eggs. Sure. Easter eggs in baskets. That's how holidays work. (laughs) On display in the museum, there's a dummy of Carlton Bloom, Uh the artist and kidnapper in the national anthem. There's a hunter's outfit from White Bear. There's... A display case featuring Victoria Scalene. And speaking of Scalene, yes. USS Callister's planets, Scalene, Thor, and Rannock refer Rannick. to Rannock. Rannock. The murderous couple from White Bear. There are the bees from Hated in the Nation. Yes. And there are even items from this season. There's Tommy's lollipop. There's the bloody bathtub from <laughs> one of the numerous crocodile murders. <laughs> so many murders. Hey, I'm going to sneak into this guy's house and murder him. Also, I'm new to murder. But hammer to the head listen, seems like a good gateway listen, murder. When you commit to the murder lifestyle, you are all in. I guess that's it's time true. to murder. A lot of bludgeoning to the head, right? For a new murderer. Listen, I've done this twice already, and I feel like this is the a way to do it. A new solo murder, at least. <laughs> but it was like a log to the head for her second murder, and right. the first murder was head in the wall and then head on the floor. Right. So a lot many of bludgeoning. She's getting better and better at murdering. <laughs> 
and the Archangel tablet that right. Sarah cracked over her mother's head. Also, Jack, in a different part of the episode, is reading a 15 million merits comic book. Wraith babes. All of the 15 million merits stuff is, I think if we ever seriously tried to construct the timeline, it would right. be it would be what we needed to get yes. it done. It is in a lot of the episodes. Also, the power station where Nish charges her car is called BRB. Perhaps be right an back. acronym for Be Right Back. The lab rats are named Kenny and Hector, mm. who are the leads in Shut Up and Dance. Shouts yeah. to Bron. We miss you. And of course, Rolo worked for Tucker at a hospital called St. Juniper. Uh, St. Juniper. Tucker, the company that built San Junipero. St. Juniper, obviously the namesake for San Junipero. He shows us the development of an early stage cookie. Yes. You had a note about this cookie, by the way. Delicious. <laughs> Here's one of my problems with Black Museum. It's the first arc is about a guy who, because of the early implant, the early version of the implant in his neck, can experience simultaneous male and female orgasms while he's making love to his girlfriend. And somehow that's not enough for him. He then progresses to drill murders. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you write a story about a guy who can experience male and female orgasms simultaneously, the story ends there. That's the end of the story. The rest of the story is, for the rest of this guy's life, he enjoyed wonderful simultaneous male-female <laughs> orgasms happily three times a day until he died at the age of 85. It does not then go, and then he progresses to drill murders. Sometimes you progress to murdering babies, and yeah. sometimes you Listen. progress to slicing off your own toes and right. pulling, pulling out, out your, your teeth, teeth and slicing your Achilles. Listen, at the point that you can experience simultaneous male-female orgasms, that's the end of the story. That's it. That's the peak of your story. You're done. Go home. You're done, my guy. Never go to work again. Enjoy that. And by the way, when Rolo is describing what happens when the police run up on Dawson as he's drilling into this homeless man's head, he says, when the police found Dawson, he was practically coming. Practically coming? <laughs> he was coming when he was having the simultaneous male-female orgasms. Now he's graduated to drill murders and he's practically coming? He's not even coming? I'm sorry, this is not, there's something wrong here. <laughs> Mal, yeah. ever since we've met, this world has been toying with us, mm. trying to keep us apart. It's a test, I swear. And the two of us rebelling together is something to do with passing it. We're not the only ones looking to pass. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most. And this week, we're awarding our champion's purse, which would also probably skip on the water four times, too. Hang the DJ the only actual successor to San Junipero. Yes. And a wonderful episode that really got us thinking. DJ is in many ways the poetic inverse of San Junipero. Here, the characters aren't giving up real life to live forever in The Sim. They're using The Sim to find love in real life. Conceptually, these episodes are harmoniously paired. 99.8% paired. And it's a funny episode. There's the exchange when Frank is with Nicola. The chicken tiki masala incident. Look on the bright side. Chicken tiki masala. What? It's a joke. Right. So you're the sort of person who makes jokes later about this when he's breathing chicken tiki masala into her face as they're having missionary sex. <laughs> she says, talking makes it worse. You're going to have to do it from behind. <laughs> Bit faster. More motion. Not like that. More motion. You're all in and out, in and out, like you're trying to shove a drawer into a filing cabinet. <laughs> this is boring. Trying a bit more side to side like this. No, not really. <laughs> so, God, come on, man. What the hell? And then later at a party when he's eating garlic dip, she's like, garlic dip? Thanks for that. And he just like. <laughs> Do they not have very in the simulation? Also, like, it's what's her problem? It's in the simulation. Can we turn off breath smell? Can we turn that to like one or zero? But then maybe they know, you know? That's true. You need those. But then, yeah, so like, uh, can we set like stone skipping to like variable instead of like always four? That's a great question. I thought one of the high points of comedy was Lenny. He makes this ah yes. sound after he takes a sip of water. And then he also makes that sound while he's <sighs> going down on Amy. <laughs> Rightly disturbing to her. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. 
Uh, there are also just these great like tindery one night stand yes. montages in the episode. And and truly it's a credit to the episode for kind of capturing this free fuck fest vibe so that much dating fucking. apps enable yes. without casting any of the stigma. That's an impressive balance to be able to strike in the episode on the sex front. There is this really lovely touch in the episode, which is we don't actually see Amy and Frank right. hooking up. You know, we see the foreplay and then we skip the act itself and we're just with them in their bliss, you know, right. close-ups of their eyes and their lips as they're staring off into the distance thinking, is this the person I'm meant to be with? Right. It's a beautiful touch. For fun, there's some Easter eggs that they're in a sim the whole time. There's the rocks always skipping four times, the security guards who act like firewalls, the repeating, ah, ah. <laughs> That Lenny makes when taking the elevator down. Every time Coach says that every interaction teaches the system something valuable. The fact that they can't remember their own lives prior to arriving. The fact that they feel like they met before. Frank literally saying, what if that's us and we're stuck in a simulation? They actually say that. Yes. <laughs> and Amy asks where to meet Frank for the for the farewell period. Coach says, Usual booth, Usual as if booth. this has happened many times before. The inherent insanity of the premise, who would spend years, literal years of their primes dating people they weren't going to be with. And fish cakes. That's the real tell to me. Is anyone <laughs> favorite food? Le fish cake. No way. Frank says. There's no way. I'll have le fish cake. The other delightful thing about the episode, of course, is just the outerwear. You know, it's like, it's really uh, like watching an episode of. Slow news day with let's Kevin put, Clark. Let's put Kevin Clark inside a, a simulation. Let's see what happens. <laughs> okay, guys. Yes. The system will be assessing your reaction to the painful, premature termination of this treasured episode of Binge Mode Weekly. Yes. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you're as excited as we are for Binge Mode Harry Potter. Dun, dun, dun. This spring. Yes. This spring. And, of course, we hope that you will join us next Thursday for the newest installment of Binge Mode Weekly. Be sure to check out Thursday's edition of The Watch yes. Podcast for more Black Mirror Season 4 talk. And, of course, please read all of the great Black Mirror offerings on TheRinger.com. What a great website. Until next week, remember, stealing our podcast is a red fucking line. <sighs> more motion really can you just really slap it spank it it's so boring are you, are you even back there what are you doing back there are you back are you there grab the cheeks no okay god